Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Tracy Ray from the employment law firm of Baron Lehman. Tracy says that OPB sponsorship is a great way to support the community and connect with Baron Liebman's clients. This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Dave Miller. Mercy Corps, the humanitarian aid organization based in Portland, has had a small staff in Palestine for years. For the last month, they've been checking in with their aid workers about conditions on the ground. Earlier this week, Mercy Corps joined a number of UN agencies, the World Health Organization, the World Food Program, and other aid groups in calling for a humanitarian ceasefire to provide aid to residents in Gaza. Arnaud Kemin is the Middle East Regional Director for Mercy Corps. He joins us with more. It's good to have you on the show. Uh, thanks for having me. I want to start with the the recent past, the, the work that Mercy Corps has done in Gaza pre-October 6th. Can you give us a sense for what it's entailed? Sure. Um, actually, that's a, a pleasure to go back to that period that seems to very, be very far at this point. Um, so we had different activities. One, of course, was still uh, very humanitarian in nature uh, because uh, as a result of the blockade, a lot of people had... Uh, uh, a lot of uh, trouble to to find employment or, uh, or just access to basic services. So we were distributing uh, humanitarian aid to uh, uh, I don't remember how many thousand people there. But we're also working with uh, local farmers in the south uh, to support the production of uh, agriculture products. Uh, so, for instance, uh, helping them with uh, setting up uh, irrigation uh, systems uh, and uh, greenhouses. And then we had, uh, on the other side, we had a very interesting program with the, the lo- local young tech community. Uh, it, it was a vibrant uh, uh, scene of uh, startups uh, trying to harness the, the, the possibilities offered by internet and new technologies to uh, find gigs uh, online and uh, increase their uh, chances to work in a place that was uh, pretty uh, uh, challenged economically, uh, and, oh, so, other words, uh, and so people, so, great. so young tech savvy Gazans could could be in Gaza, but they could be in a sense working anywhere in the world. Exactly, yes, yeah. and because they were uh, quite brilliant for for the most part, they, they were really able to uh, market their skills on uh, various platforms. We are helping them gain access to uh, to to work as uh, content. Uh, uh, providers for, uh, I don't remember, I think there was one from Australia. Once I was checking in with some of them and uh, another one was working with uh, Gulf countries. Uh, so yes, that, that was the other program we were having. You mentioned the blockade. W- was access a challenge in the past in terms of getting supplies in or, or, or people in or out of Gaza? Uh, yes, uh, that was definitely uh, uh was not sealed as it is now, but it was a very challenged uh, place. A lot of technologies and equipments were uh, forbidden. We could not import them. We, we were not working through uh, providing things in. We were relying on, on local uh, procurements whenever we had to uh, to, to distribute things. Um, but uh, even for people to go in and out was a whole process. You mentioned, in response to my first question about 
what your operations were like before October 6th, that you were happy to do that because it seems like a very long time ago. What did go through your mind on that terrible day of terrorist attacks in Israel? Oh, um, I mean, at first I, I, I was not really sure about the magnitude of uh, the crisis we are looking at. And uh, uh, so I, it, it took like a whole day of uh, checking in and, uh, and understanding uh, the news I was reading to really realize that we are really moving into a completely different uh, situation. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, there was, took maybe a couple of hours to really confirm that the reports we were getting were uh, reliable uh, and uh, that, that that meant that a lot of things were not going to be uh, the same uh, after that can you give us a sense for the scale what the scale of your operations in Gaza had been yeah I mean I guess the, the best way of uh, of quantifying that would be we have and we still have uh, 70 staff uh, in Gaza. Uh, working on these different programs uh, at that time, uh, reaching, uh, I don't know, 50,000 people or 60,000 people um, on an annual basis. You said so that you you had 70 staff in Gaza before, and are they all still in Gaza? Yes, uh, they are still in Gaza. Uh, and, and that's a team we are extremely... Uh, like the first part of the of this past month has been spent uh, was spent largely around uh, checking on them and coordinating with those who could support the others to uh, help because they all were displaced or like the vast majority were displaced and and most of them were displaced like many times uh, over the past month um, and uh, so we, we still have a, a now we have a well established protocol to check in every day see uh, who is where and in what situation. Um, unfortunately, these past 10 days, there was one that we could not reestablish contact with uh, in the very north of the Gaza Strip. Uh, so uh, it's an area that has uh, no more fuel, uh, no more infrastructure. So uh, we are very worried. We, we hope that is just a, a problem with the communication rather than a her being uh, injured or, or worse. At this point, are the Mercy Corps workers who are Gazans themselves, are, are they doing work for Mercy Corps? Are they continuing their work or are they just surviving? Well, it's it really depends. Um, because... Because the situation is very difficult for them, as it is for everybody else in Gaza, of course. Um, I guess the first few weeks were really spent for most of them to take care of their families, reestablish a, a place where they could sit, or, or, or sorry, where they could sleep in the south. Um, after this initial phase, of course, some remain very challenged and uh, it's very difficult for them to do anything else but just attend to their needs and the needs of their children and their parents. Uh, but uh, there is a small core group which first uh, was really instrumental. Th those people are real heroes. They were really instrumental in 
helping the others and we were coordinating coordinating with them like uh, if we needed to pay a vendor uh, who would uh, provide things and they would be in charge of finding ways to get these goods to our team like one needed a mattress here or, or food there providing water for those who are i mean now it's almost become impossible but so this small group um was also uh, ready to uh, like expand because uh, there were more and more people who were like, okay, now what can we do? Because um, there are humanitarians to the core, you know? And uh, so we, we were able to procure some food uh, last week uh, and uh, distribute them to extremely vulnerable people who are so um, uh, like, physically uh, so impacted that they could not go and queue for four hours to get uh, a little bit of bread. So we, we were able to, to procure that and distribute this to these very uh, vulnerable people, uh, thanks to this team and a, a local partner we have. All of it within Gaza. Yes, and, and unfortunately, this was uh, uh, the, the last time we could do that because now the, the supplies are so depleted that we could not even do this re- redistribution within Gaza because now everybody's basically scrambling for some, for something to, to eat. If you're just tuning in, we're talking right now with Arnaud Camin. He is the Middle East Regional Director for Portland-based Mercy Corps. What supplies are most needed right now broadly? I mean, everything is very needed and uh, those that are the most re- re- needed for people's survival. So uh, water, food, and medical supplies, and uh, fuel, because so many things are depending on uh, electricity, and there's no electricity in Gaza. So, for instance, the desalinization plants uh, cannot work because there is no power, uh, or hospitals cannot operate because they don't have power, or they operate in extremely difficult situations. People cannot come and uh, and find goods very far from where they live because they don't have cars. They just uh, use uh, for the most lucky, for the luckiest of them, uh, they, they use donkey cars. Uh, so, so yes, food, water, uh, medical supplies, and uh, uh, and food would be the, the obvious things that we would get in. And of course, uh, we are prepositioning some uh, some good uh, because the winter is getting worse and uh, and when people are displaced they really have the leisure of taking things with them or a lot of things so uh, a lot of people are now uh, sheltering in, in houses that are not heated and they need blankets uh, and basic kits to to establish themselves so we, we are proposing prepositioning this um, on the Egyptian side for whenever we can cross getting supplies in would obviously would only be the beginning. What would it take to get them to the people who need them the most? I mean, uh, we we as humanitarians, that's the thing we we know how to do uh, best. Uh, assessing the level of uh, of vulnerability, we have plenty of uh, of systems to 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 score. And it, it's in a context like I was just on a call with my team uh, an hour ago, and we were talking about that. Um, in, in some areas, you will probably need to do some form of a, a large form of distributions because the level of needs is uh, staggering. Uh, and you, you, of course, we will go straight to the people who are the most uh, at risk 
but I think you could imagine that the, the vast majority of people in Gaza today are uh, vulnerable. There have been many reports over the years of Hamas using hospital tunnels or ambulances either as command and control centers or for transporting militants or weapons. There have also been many reports over the last month of Israel hitting healthcare facilities or locations nearby, they say, for the the former reason. But what have these meant just in terms of humanitarian realities in combination for everyday Gazans who need medical care? Well, we are not in the business of uh, providing uh, medical care, so I, I, I don't have like first-hand uh, uh, experience of that. But we've been operating in Gaza for uh, many years now, and uh, we, we 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 had to be very clear around our uh, our principles and our red lines. Uh, and of course, we had at times to negotiate very hard to say we are not going to um, to budge because if we were, we would not be able to deliver a proper humanitarian response. And that would jeopardize not only our work in Gaza, but anywhere, because if you're not a, a principal humanitarian actor, your credibility in other contexts would also be at stake. Um, and, and some of those moments were very tough, but uh, ultimately uh, we were able to to get what we needed to continue operating in that fashion. There have been some some rocket attacks back and forth between Israel and Lebanon, but the nightmare scenario of a of a much larger war, one involving Iranian-backed forces in Lebanon, has not happened. What are you paying attention in? to in the region these days from a humanitarian perspective? So from a humanitarian perspective, we are really, well, of course, we are trying to understand the, the, the dynamics at play, uh, and, uh, but we have very little say in, in how those things unfold. So what we are looking at are uh, signs of a form of uh, Escalation that will not be uh, controlled, if you want to, if you see what I mean, uh, and uh, and that would snowball into uh, a different situation. Um, but but our concern is mostly around what would that mean in terms of humanitarian needs and how can we be prepared to respond in that scenario. Uh, and so uh, you were mentioning Lebanon. We, we we've been responding in the south of Lebanon. Um, and we are. We also have put in place contingency planning in case things were to uh, to become uh, much worse. But um, but yes, at the moment we are mostly working to a response that is starting to to become of a I would say of a certain size. Uh, we have more than thirty thousand people displaced from the south of Lebanon, and uh, and many of them uh, were left in the southern part without a lot of support. So we were able to to distribute um, goods and uh, a bit of food also last week. You've worked in Syria, Iraq, South Sudan, a number of other countries. So it's not like you're not used to the challenges of trying to provide humanitarian aid during very complicated and politically complicated times. But have you ever dealt with a situation quite like this with so much global attention? The, the short answer is no, uh, and uh, and it's very uh, it's very shocking. Um, 
and at the same time, I would say that the political nature of the story is, is a feature of the situation. But for me, what is uh, staggering is the, the the nature of the situation in Gaza these days, uh, which is of a I, I haven't seen that in an extremely long time. Like this level of uh, of, uh, of humanitarian crisis. Uh, unraveling without any sense of uh, of end at this moment. We don't have a clear path towards uh, a proper scale, uh, scaled up response uh, in Gaza. Um, there are signs that the negotiations are trying to get to a breakthrough, but w- what is happening is something that is getting worse every hour. Uh, it's it's interesting because we, we we've talked about like how dire a situation would be under a, a siege tactic and, and we spoke about that from the first day except that we are now much farther down that path and uh, the the impact of this siege is becoming uh exponentially bad on people and and the fact that we've been speaking about that from the beginning tends to insulate ourselves to the fact from the fact that it's actually uh, reaching new levels of 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 human suffering. I, I don't know how I can convey uh, the the humanity behind the the story, you know. And I, I maybe I, I can just share the fact that we, we were also very closely in touch with our team, with those who were able to to be in to to use communication lines with us. And uh, what they describe is absolutely heartbreaking and and unheard of. Uh, so so that I. I, I Yes, I'm a seasoned humanitarian uh, at this point. I, I, I cannot say I've heard of anything like that before. Arnaud Kemet, thanks very much for joining us today. I really appreciate your time. Pleasure. Thanks. Arnaud Kemet is the Middle East Regional Director for the Portland-based Mercy Corps. Just now, while we were talking, we got an email from a Mercy Corps representative. It had a recent voice memo from one of their humanitarian workers in Gaza. This is what she said. I think what's been really hard other than all of this is waking up every day and checking on my colleagues and my friends um, and trying to see who survived the night. Um, and it's it's really hard. It truly is. Um, because every day, every day I wake up at sunrise because that's when I know uh, we made it for one more day. And then try to check on my messages, text my friends, see who made it. And I can't tell you how it's been really hard, repetitive, and very heartbreaking that this has been going for more than a month without a ceasefire. Coming up after a break, a study this year found an increase in interest in vasectomies after the Dobbs decision, which ended the right to abortion at the federal level. We'll get the view from a urologist in Portland. 